Yeah, it is the the most rock and roll to uh, kick an eight-year-old out of their room because you need a bed. So I've got lovely butterfly art on the wall. Uh, yeah, very fun. Listening to Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 247 of Sapnin Podcast, featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards. And on any given day, I'm a six of ten. But that's irrelevant because today. Well, we know her. We have our brave faces on celebrating self destruction. As a sensible career choice. Yes, six out of ten is a bit high, to be honest for you, Mom. But <laughs> yes, our guest this week is Dylan Slocum of the fantastic Spanish love songs. Oh. I like to think when I'm dressed up in my best, I'm like a 6.5. Maybe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, if you're into that underground subgenre of emo punk with heart-wrenching lyric hooks, Spanish love songs are probably your latest obsession. I have had so many friends telling me about this band and their last album, Brave Faces, everyone, for the last two or three years. They're one of those artists that seem to explode with a cult following during the pandemic, and it might be because they are the perfect mixture of sarcastically sad while trying to hype you up at the same time. They have a new record, No Joy, coming out next week, August the 25th, with a pure noise, and we thought this would be the perfect opportunity to dive into the band, get to know their DNA, and some mad stories about Dylan's life. Our good friend Hayley Connolly said we get along perfectly with him, and she wasn't wrong. A great storyteller, the same humor as us, and someone who is really grateful to get to this point. Yes, it was a fucking great chat. It was very funny. Like you said, we've never met Dylan before or spoken to Dylan. Um, we spoke for so long that we basically ran out of the time. We went from going, oh, we'll do 45 minutes with him to doing uh, a good hour and a bit. And then we were like, oh, sorry, bro, I forgot you've got other interviews. You've got other life things to do. You've got a life, not just talking <laughs> to us. You've got more important, yeah, you've got other people to talk to. We're not. Do you know what I found out doing this interview, right? It turns out we're not, or I'm not, the centre of the universe. What? Bro, I can't believe, I've been in the Matrix, right, for a good 30 odd years now, right? Nearly, I'm not even going to say that number. (laughs) (laughs) During this chat was the first time I realised that the world doesn't revolve around me, which is fucking horrible and terrible. Who would have thought, eh? Who told you this? Not me. Not me. But yeah, Dylan fucking leaving, talking to us to go and do other interviews. Broke my heart. But it was a fantastic chat. Thank you very much to Dylan. I've been listening to Spanish love songs ever since we had this chat as well. And I have very, very much enjoyed their output. And I cannot wait for No Joy, August the 25th. Yes, they're going to be touring a lot across Australia, the States, and returning to the UK in September as well for a week of shows supporting Hot Mulligan, who recently had a very chaotic conversation with us back on episode 232. But on this one, we literally talk about everything 
from the secrets of No Joy and creating a character for his lyrics to uh, not being able to shut off music at home with his wife and bandmate Meredith, business hassles, why there will never be a social media trend, his time in baseball versus writing and filming in Hollywood, his favorite Power Ranger, and the <laughs> fact that it's actually their 10th year anniversary. So we dive into a little bit of uh, more stuff from behind the scenes. Also, he did mention, and I nearly brought it up at the time, but I forgot because um, the point he was making at the time was too good to ignore. But he told us that he was born six foot six. <laughs> he said, the thing is, we're being born six foot six. And I was like, you weren't. But yeah, I forgot to bring it up at the time because I was like, oh, I'll keep, I know. I was like, oh, that's a perfect year. You came out a wrestler size, didn't you? You came out the size of a wrestler. Your poor mother. That's my first thought. But yes, have a listen to this. And after you've listened to this, go and check out Spanish Love Songs. That's after you've gone to patreon.com forward slash sapning to help support the boys and keep this bloody podcast running. It means the absolute world to us. Also, get in touch with us at SapmePod on Twitter, Instagram. You can try TikTok, but I probably won't. Neither of us will probably reply. Um, yeah. You summed that up perfectly. Let's get straight into it. This is Dylan of Spanish Love Songs in episode 247 of Sapnin Podcast. Yeah. Sapnin! Sapnin! Sapnin Love Songs! I don't fucking know, but I don't know. Sapnin! Sapnin! Sapnin, y'all. I'll give you a little southern flair. Nice! <laughs> Bit of flair on the end. Whoa, mix it up. We'll have to change the name of the podcast. <laughs> Our guest this week is singer, songwriter, and all-round legend, Dylan Slocum of the mighty, mighty Spanish love songs. How are you, Dylan? I'm doing great. Uh, Mighty Mighty Spanish Love Songs is actually a great name. We're going to take a little Boston's energy and just move the Mighty Mighty over. I think I think it's a good rebranding. Yeah, you can even add um, Morphin after the first Mighty <laughs> if you want it. So you could have Mighty Morphin Spanish. Mighty Morphin Spanish Love Songs! It kind of wor- works. Uh, yeah, we could all start wearing costumes. That'd be a good way to age, right? Because then you couldn't see us anymore and we could do it forever. That's perfect. That's perfect. And you love doing the odd covers. So if their titles for cover albums saw it, <laughs> we're done. We got it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was worth you coming on this just for that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've cracked the code. Yeah. We're good. We're ready to go. We, we've got the next 10 years mapped out. Well, there we are. We were originally going to talk about um, your upcoming album, but I guess we just scrap that now when we go to the Mighty Morphin <laughs> covers album. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, no joy, it's fine. Well, what, what, um, what color ranger would you be? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I'd probably be the blue ranger. Ooh. I'm a, just from like a pure dork standpoint, I think that, I think that works. 
I've got, uh, wh- who was the original blue? That was Billy, right? I've got a real Billy energy, I think. Uh, <laughs> mild stick in the mud, you know. I think that's good. Nice, nice. Blue Ranger. Blue Ranger <laughs> vibes. I like that. I like that a yeah. lot. No, but Dylan, how are you doing? How's things behind the scenes at the moment? What's going on? I know there's a lot of uh, excitement, a lot of new music coming out, a lot of touring. But how are you doing at the moment? Is it just kind of giving up for, for all that? Yeah, just endless to-do lists of things to get through before we leave. Uh, out in California, visiting family before uh, we go to LA to rehearse for a few days. And then we fly to Australia do an Australian tour, then fly straight to the UK and do UK and mainland Europe, and then come back here and then have a few weeks off and then do six weeks in the States. And then, you know, from there it's pure chaos with the album, just sort of grinding it out, which we love. I mean, we haven't got to do it for a long time. So, uh, we love to be on the road as much as possible. So we're geared up and ready for it. And you know, happy to happy to sleep in strange places and live out of a backpack. That's kind of the name of the game. <laughs> most most bands we talk to dread at the idea of of that schedule, but you seem really really happy about it and just being able to uh, to get back into very strange places. Yeah, I mean that's half the reason why we do this: is to go take it on the road and play for people and be in front of people and see the world. I mean, it's like the great privilege of the job. I, I love, I think it's the greatest job on earth. And I understand people who don't like touring, but I don't subscribe to that to the point where even like loading in or doing an awful 12 hour drive or this or that, it's all great. Cause it, it, the end, the end uh, product is worth it. It's, it beats sitting in an office for eight hours a day for me. I literally concur on that um, because, yeah, like I said, prior to recording, like my, my old band got back together. We've just done a couple of shows. Yeah. And even I, as the singer, even I helped Lauden. That's how excited I was to get a band <laughs> back together. I was like, do you know what, boys? I will carry a box. Let me carry it. Yeah. And they were like, Sean, don't carry a box. So it's too, too much. Too yourself. much too soon. You've taken too much on. Yeah. No, it, it, it's true. Like, incredibly exciting and a ton of fun and yeah especially with covid and taking so much time off like our first few shows back everybody was just in a great mood like even those of us that'll bicker or or you know have friction on the road we were like living in total harmony just going like yeah this is the greatest thing on earth this is you know that that sheen has worn off a little bit but we're ready to i mean we're, we're used to it we're, it's it's why we do it and it's it's the work you got to put in the work to be to have any of the success you know we're not we're not a band that like pops on the radio and all of a sudden is I, the, the, the name of being a modern musician is being on the road. And like, we're happy with that because we're, we're good at it. Nice. Well, yeah, you said about the shine of, um, post pandemic wearing off. Have you found out with, um, crowds as well? Are they complaining that you're not playing the Urum? Cause <laughs> God knows I'm getting a factor of that right now. And I'm only, and I'm in the UK. I'm literally playing shows an hour from somebody and they're like, Oh no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not traveling. It's like uh, in three years ago, we didn't think there'd ever be gigs again. It's a uh, post pandemic crowds have been interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure what to make of them. Some have been really great and some have been rightfully reserved. Some have been a bit entitled, which is insane, but 
I don't know. It's all been generally good. Uh, it is funny to, it's always been funny to me that like we will fly 12 hours across the world and somebody won't travel an hour or two. And I understand that it's difficult and it's costly and it's time consuming. But if that's the case to then complain about it, like I love to joke with people and be like, yeah, we're not coming there. Cause like, I hate you personally. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this to spite you random stranger who I have never met. This is because of you like fuck your city. Uh, no, it's just like the logistics of touring. And like, if you want bands to come to your city, there needs to be a sustaining scene in that city that will justify the band taking the risk to come there. And the best way to do that is to like build up a local scene and, and start getting bands to come. But you can't just wholesale be like, Oh, you must hate every single resident of city X because you don't come here. And it's like, no, we don't come there because there's no venue that will guarantee us a deal that makes it worthwhile to come there. So if it's an absolute disaster, we don't lose the entire tour, you know, cause shit can go wrong very quickly on tour. We're operating on a very thin margin. So having one show that, that utterly fails, like not, it's not tenable that way. But yeah, thank you for the idea, because I am going to move forward blaming people individually you now for why their city isn't getting my band. So I'm going to use that. I'm going to be like, it's your fault that Nottingham's not getting it. <laughs> Everyone from Nottingham now blames this one person. Yeah, I, it's it's a fun thing to do. I, I say it completely joking, but yeah, it's, we, we've had that a lot. We've had that a lot with the Australia tour, which I feel bad about. But oh. Australia is so far, it's so far away from us. And Perth is so far away from everything else in Australia. Like we can't just, we can't get there this time. People are like, why do you hate Perth? And it's like, dude, I'm literally flying 15 hours to get to you and flying 22 hours out of your country. Like, can you, can you please just meet us? Not even in the middle. Can you meet us just a slight, <laughs> just a little, but it's fine. I mean, I understand. I understand being a fan and wanting to see the band that you love and not being inconvenienced to do it. But I mean, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work and it's, it's rough. It's rough to be in a remote place for sure. Oh no, for sure. I think a lot of fans don't see it from the other way as well. I mean, obviously we just want the uh, fans to be as, as close to them as possible, but feel bad for Brazil. They're always asking for tours and they never get them. But that one's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. That, I, I feel that one deeply. We would love to go to South America. It's definitely one of the things left on our bucket list of like places to go is Central and South America, and then Japan is the other big one that we haven't got to do. So hopefully those will happen in the next few years. Can I just ask, what is Spanish Love Song's most requested place that you've never been to? Is it come to Brazil like most other bands? Or is it Newcastle in the UK? That's a good one. No, we, we've done Newcastle quite a bit, actually. I think it's come to Brazil, or the funniest one is come to Spain, because we've never played Spain, despite ah. our name. Which feels like a shame but uh you know it'll happen someday again it's it, those are like markets like spain italy it's like just hard markets to break into and we even italy we've put in the time like we've been to italy a few times and every time we go it doesn't really improve <laughs> they're just like well we can't keep coming here and losing money it's, it's <laughs> at a certain point it becomes kind of stupid and then i'm sure we'll test it out again at some point and hope that the markets have grown but it's just hard, man. Uh, touring has gotten so expensive. Like even we used to be like the flights to Europe for us had gotten like doubled in price. 
and the rentals and stuff have doubled in price, but our guarantees have not doubled. You know, we're not, everybody I know is making less money and spending more to do the, to do bigger shows. And it's just like, well, at a certain point, something has to change. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for Spanish love songs to finally play Spain and it'd be the biggest gig the country has ever seen. But fingers crossed you'll get to, to, to all these places. But there is a lot of things we do want to talk about throughout this conversation. And I kind of wanted to get into things by realizing that technically, as we record this, this month, August 2023, is the 10th year anniversary of Spanish love songs, if I am not Ooh. mistaken. It is technically the 10-year anniversary of the very first iteration of the band, which was me and Ruben and our bassist, Gabe, who is no longer our bassist. Um, he has, we're still friends. He just has a family. Um, so, yeah, it would have been our first gig would have been August of 2013 uh, as a three-piece at a bar that no longer exists in Pomona, California. I don't consider that the same band, but on paper, yeah, I guess. Yes, Morgan got it wrong. Yes, <laughs> well, Morgan is wrong. Technically, yes! I mean, from, from, from a technically right. point of view, I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, I who, but yeah, uh, but yeah. Well, but journalism degree. Yeah, he paid for journalism <laughs> degree. It was the beginning of what became this band, and we had the name, and like we had a few of the songs, um, like a few of the songs from Giant were, were played that night. Um, just sort of a thing where our old band broke up and we just wanted to keep playing together. So the three of us just started a new band and just went with it. Um, and then Kyle joined, uh, the next year. And then we put out giant the year after that, which even then I don't really consider giant to be the same band, even though it is technically our first album, but like Meredith hadn't joined yet. Trevor hadn't joined yet. So I think, that was the time. So like the first five years of this band was us sort of just dicking around in Los Angeles and being sort of like half-assing it. And then by the time we had written Schmaltz, we were like, Oh, Schmaltz is like pretty good. Like we actually did something that we're kind of proud of. And then we put it out and we got, we, you know, we signed to a label and put it out and, and got to start touring. And we we're like, Oh, we should like take this seriously. Cause it's actually doing something. And so that's to me, Era one of the band is like 2013 to 2018, which is like the goofing around era. But to me, our band really started five years ago. We put out Schmaltz and we actually gave it some attention. Uh, yeah. That's also a way to make me not feel fucking old. That's true. That this band has been going on for 10 that's years. That's true as well. Yeah. You don't want me yeah. telling you dates and anniversaries and all that kind of stuff. But... Well, it just, it just makes it sound sadder. It's <laughs> yeah. like, this is where you are after 10 years. Like, ugh. Well, this is the thing I bring it up because, you know, when you have like kind of things like this, it's a really big retrospect of how far things have come and seeing the differences between day one and now. And I mean, when you have idiots like me bring things like this up, is it quite weird to see how much you guys have done in that time? Like how much life has changed, how much the music has changed, how much of those bucket list goals you've been able to do? It must be kind of surreal sometimes to think back and go, we're completely different people than that first intuition. Yeah, it's nice to see. I mean, especially especially since 2018, the amount of ground we've been able to cover has been a lot of fun for us and, and getting to go different places and see the world. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, to go from... So I was already older when we started the band. I was 25 when we started the band. And so our, our first album came out until I was 27, 28. So 
yeah, to be able to see what a decade has done for us and, and the things I've got to do with my life that I didn't think were going to happen is incredibly satisfying. And, and you can't help but feel lucky, even a band of like our tiny little success to get to do what we've been able to do is, yeah, it's beyond anything we could have hoped for when we, when the three of us were like, oh, I guess we'll keep playing music. Uh, what's the name? I don't know. Spanish love song. You know what I mean? Like when we came up with this stupid band name and wrote some bad songs and then started playing like that was like that was it that was the pinnacle of what you could hope for like maybe we'll play a show on some weekends maybe our friends will show up we'll have fun and like get a free beer um so now you know putting out an album with like the force of stuff behind it and being able to be out talking about it and being able to gear up to do you know a year straight of touring or this or that like it's we're incredibly lucky and we 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 know that and we like keep it in mind. Uh, that's why we, like we said, we have the greatest job on earth and we're, we're never going to complain about being able to do it. What would you say are some of those highlights over the last decade or five years <laughs> from, uh, <laughs> from this? From Spanish Love Songs 1.1? 1. 1. Um, uh, man, it's, it's hard to say. The first like time we went out for an extended period of time, which is only like four days was with the flatliners at the end of 2015. And they just like took us out for some SoCal dates and one Arizona date. And that was a blast because we had never like done multiple shows strung together as a band. Um, and that was fun. And then the first time we went to Europe was at the end of 2016. Um, and that was particularly memorable because it, it wasn't good by any means, but <laughs> it was a blast. Cause I mean, we all got to, it was a lot of people's first time in Europe too. Wow. And so that was fun. And then uh, the first time we went to the UK at the end of 2018 was a blast. Now they're like unforgettable. I think every, like, it's so cheesy, but they're all great in their own ways. Like the only one I try to care to forget is the one where I had mono for half the tour. That wasn't fun. But even that was memorable because I was super sick and that was great. So yeah, I think they're all fun in their own ways. And I think the bigger thing is just like some of the people we've got to meet and some of the friendships we've managed to forge are uh, pretty incredible and something we wouldn't trade for anything. Nice. Where would you remember the first time that you thought, Oh, we're actually like a real band. This could be my job forever. Um, no, I don't know if we still feel that way. Even it's, it all feels like it could fall apart at any moment, which is kind of the appeal, right? I, I remember when people started singing back, like when people start singing along, you start to go like, Oh, this is having an impact in some way. And then you just slowly watch the crowds grow and, uh, hope that each, each thing is, yeah, you just hope that there's an upward trajectory. But even now I feel like we just think we're kind of a small nobody band and, and we're happy that people want to listen to us at all. And we're always surprised when people are there singing and it's, it's great. It's great to be constantly surprised because you don't actually expect anything good to happen. The best way to be about it, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, because uh, the few times that I've like put expectations on things, like especially for shows or something, and it doesn't reach those expectations, I'm like inconsolable. I'm like, we should just quit. Why are we doing this if we can't? This is this goalpost. We were. This is the the goal we were supposed to hit, and we didn't hit it. So, like, what the fuck are we doing? Let's stop. And I've had to like try to detach myself from that quite a bit, and just you know take it as it comes. Growing older as well, have you realized like certain things are not as big as a priority as it maybe used to be? If it whether it be something to do with like ego or just the little elements of things that 
as a creative and as someone in the band, you all overthink. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not really a necessity. Man, I don't know. I have definitely given less energy to social media as a whole um, while keeping it functional and doing the like minimum. I don't know. We're not a band that you're going to discover on Twitter and be like, Oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this band's so funny on Twitter. I better listen to them. Like, this just ain't going to happen. I've really kind of detached from that stuff, which we were never particularly invested in, but it comes up constantly that we need to need to be more on TikTok. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. I hate it. And yeah. I don't think you do need to be doing that. Maybe if you want to be a TikTok band that reaches a certain level of TikTok adjacent fame, maybe it helps. Um, but for us and how we find satisfaction, it's not for us. Um, not to say that we don't do it. And we try we try to play the game. Like people ask us to do stuff and we're not a band who likes to say no to people. So if somebody asks us to try something, like I'll try anything once. Um, and if it makes me feel gross, I'm not going to do it anymore. And if it, if it makes me feel great, I'll keep doing it. And if I'm ambivalent about it, but somebody else wants it to keep happening, then like I'll pawn it off onto them. Be like, yeah, you want this to happen. You should do it. Cause like a, a band is a weird thing. And social media for a band is an even weirder thing in that it's really just marketing, right? Like, we're not doing anything important on Instagram except kind of marketing to sell you the band and to sell, like, honestly, we're just trying to sell you t-shirts at a tour date and that <laughs> yeah. sucks, but that is the reality of it. So I've learned to not put any stock into that and to treat it purely as a marketing platform. And it's like sort of the gross side of the music business that we just have to be involved in because it is a business and we have to stay afloat. So that's been a nice kind of growth thing. Because yeah, early on on the days, it's like I'm arguing with people on Twitter. I'm like, man, you still trying to defend ourselves. And now it's like, hey, check out this cool t-shirt we have. Come buy it. You know what I mean? And that's fine. Because the real the real stuff happens on the record and it happens at the shows anyways. Uh, so I've made I've made peace with that. You know, we're we're sort of like a TV show in that way. And like we exist to sell you things now. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but that that is a good outlook to have, really, because I feel like you know Spanish Love Songs is a band with a huge cult following. But all the people that I know who are really into you and friends and stuff, they've all discovered you through word of mouth from other people. Yeah. You seem to be one of those bands. I don't want to say a dying breed, but as you mentioned, you're not going to find you really on Twitter or something that's caught your attention because you're funny. I think you are one of those bands where people go, no, you need to go and see these. You need to hear this song. And I think you like it. I mean, that must be quite cool to know that that is is love behind those recommendations. Yeah, and I mean, that's those are the bands I've always loved, and that's just the music I enjoy. And it it makes it more genuine, I think, and it it also gives us fans who are in it for the long haul, which has been incredible. Uh, we don't want to be a band that if you look on our Spotify stats, we have one song that has a ton of streams, and then other songs that have like dividends less of that uh, we want to be the band that like people listen to and engage with and love for a longer period of time even if it means that we're not popping off and selling out uh big old i don't know like arena is even too grand of an idea but like i don't know big 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 venues, right like we're not selling out big amphitheaters but if we could get up to playing for a thousand people a night do that for 20 years i'm like that's the dream for me, you know. That's that's the goal, not 
Oh, remember that one year where we played to a 10,000 person venue for a year. It's like, that's fleeting and that's going to disappear real quickly. Like it doesn't have to be fleeting, but it can be. And that's scary. So we're just trying to take it step by step, you know, and just if, if we stay a cult band that like people really enjoy, but we can sustain it. Great. If we rise beyond that and become something of a mild indie success, great. As long as we can sustain it. Uh, as soon as the sustainability falls off, I think that's when we just take it out back and put it down forever and just be done with it. Cause if you're not growing, then there's no, I don't know. I, as it sounds like you did with your band, like everybody hated the album and you just said, okay, we're done because <laughs> yeah. what like we're done. And that's how we're too old too. like now we're too, we joke about this every time we go in to record an album. People are like, don't you feel any pressure? And it's like, no, because as soon as we put out one bad thing, the band is over. So we're just going to do what we want. And if you like it, we'll keep going. And if it suddenly doesn't work anymore, then we'll just move on to the next thing because we all have, there are endless amount of things in this world that I want to learn how to do and to experience. And why would I waste my time doing something with diminishing returns for the sake of doing it when I could be out there doing something entirely different that provides a different experience for me. Um, and right now the band is all new experiences. And as soon as it stops perpetually moving forward, then it's like, okay, we should, we should do something else because uh, people don't care anymore or we don't care anymore, which is like the even scarier one. Do you know what? It's actually refreshing to hear you talk about um, social media, like kind of the way you have, because like you said, nowadays, like so many bands are just like, right, you've got, you you know, you've got to be on TikTok, which means at least one of your bands has got to be like a fucking unbelievable video editor all of a sudden on their phone. And then, yeah, yeah, I just don't like, I I know it's, I know it's a tool to kind of get you out there, but then I saw, um, I saw a clip of a rapper who had like a TikTok viral song. And like a thousand kids turned up at his show, but they knew 15 seconds of a song. Like they hadn't even gone and listened to the whole fucking album or even the whole song. They just knew the 15 seconds that went viral. And when I saw that video, I was like, that makes me like, if I was that guy on stage, I'd want to die. Like it makes me want to die inside. And I'm not that guy. Like if you're on stage and you're like, fuck yeah, they love me. And then 15 seconds later, they all go, oh. Yeah, that happens when it's like a, a, a deeper cut on an album that people don't know. And you're like, damn it, why don't you know this one? This one's one of the better <laughs> ones. You should know this. But yeah, I, it makes me sound incredibly old when I talk like that. And I'm not trying to, to disparage it. Like, if that's what you want to do, go for it, dude. Like, that's awesome. And I, I my biggest thing is I just don't know how to crack it. If I knew how to crack it, let's go. I'd, that'd be great. And we've spent time... Like, not we. I've spent a lot of time trying to crack like what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And I found that what works for us is not caring about it. Cause yeah, I'm like you, I obsess over to the point where I'm like, Oh, I'm worthless because I can't get a freaking viral response to this stupid video. Like I just want people to listen to our music and come to our shows and I'll play the game as much as I have to help it along. But I don't think I can, I don't have the energy or the effort to do something that feels fake to us. Cause again, why, why waste our time? It's not, it's not like we're out here fighting to cure cancer. Like we're playing fucking music. It's at the end of the day, it's really unimportant uh, beyond the fact that it can create a sense of community and like let people engage with the emotions in a certain way, which on that side of things is important. And it's why we do it. But 
like on the scale of like what we could be doing with our lives, it's pretty low for me in terms of uh, <laughs> impact, like social impact. Well, that's the thing. You've just got to enjoy life and it's full of experiences. And as you said, you were kind of want to go, go through all that. But uh, speaking of life experiences, you know, when we found out uh, we were going to do this, very excited because we've had quite a few requests for this episode. But I kind of went on a little deep dive um, on your <laughs> oh, life. No. And that sounds oh, no. really bad that I've been deep diving into stuff. Um, but <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. a few things that um, really took my interest is that it seems you've had quite a few different chapters of your life away from music in terms of starting off. Uh, I read that you had a baseball scholarship and that was going to be a thing. And then you went on to work in uh, Hollywood on movies and, and things behind the scenes. I mean, when you think of all that, do you see it as three different chapters of your life or is it just kind of being a gateway to music as all kind of intertwined? I mean, how do you, uh, how, how do you see the journey of your life uh, until this point? They're definitely different because music was always separate from them in a way that was, I was trying to ignore it because I have always wanted to play music for a living and I love music deeply. It's my first love. And it's also the thing that I've always known would be a struggle and would be hard. And in the proportion of struggle to payout would be the smallest. And like, I was a realist as a child. And so baseball, I was gifted to be born six feet six. I could throw a baseball like in 90 something miles an hour. I had a gift that I could try to harness. And... I did that at the detriment of not playing music for like, I would just kind of dick around, but I wouldn't like focus on music. I had one band in high school. We barely did anything. It was more of a joke. And it, I didn't even really start like the craft of songwriting until after baseball. And so I went to college and then I got hurt and I could have done some rehab and then kept trying to play. But then I was like, this doesn't sound like it's going to be for me. It doesn't sound fun. Um, I don't like it anymore. So I'm out. And then I was out and then I started playing music for a little bit as I finished up college. But I, that whole time in college, I was first studying journalism. And then uh, that quickly shifted into... Where's the money? Yeah, it quickly shifted into screenwriting because my journalism teacher was like, don't go into this. Like, she had just gotten laid off from the LA Times. She's like, "There's you're, you're going to go write for blogs somewhere. Don't do this. And I was like, okay. Because I was still kind of searching for what I wanted. And then I went into screenwriting and moved up to LA and was working for a director and trying to write and direct stuff. And again, it was a thing where I was like, this is an artistic expression, but like the payout could be more beneficial to me if I make it. And it seems like they're both equally hard to engage with and to get anywhere with. Um, and of course, now that the writer strike is happening and I have talked to my friends who are like talking about their wages from writing, I'm just like, oh, I still made an okay decision being in a band because <laughs> all artistic uh, endeavors are kind of screwed right now. Oh, At least yeah, they have a that's hopefully going to give them some, some benefits. Um, and so when I was in LA is when I started the band and it was just sort of a, a thing that I did to express myself. And around 2018 is when they were kind of running concurrently and then the band started doing its thing. And my writing career was sort of on its path, but it wasn't, uh, 
I don't know, like I had representation. I was, you know, I was in that, that era where I was taking a bunch of meetings that were going nowhere and probably because the work wasn't good enough. And that's fine. Like I probably wasn't good enough at what I was doing. But my writing partner and I had one like final round where we went out with a pilot and we had a ton of meetings where it was like, oh, you're almost the guys for this, but not. And we were just like, man, this sucks. And, uh, and that's fine. I mean, that's better than most people get. And I was excited to have had that. And we were like, okay, we can almost crack this. But then the band started doing this thing. And I was like, well, this is actually moving forward. And this is kind of stagnating. So I'm going to jump on this thing and just like, see how I can ride this out. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how we got here. And I'm sure, yeah, it's been a backwards way. If I had just probably focused on music since I was 16, I might be better off, but I also wouldn't met the people I've met or I wouldn't be where I am. So I can't really look back with any regret on it. People are like, don't you regret not doing that? Or don't you regret this? I'm like, no, because it's happened. Like you can't, the choice is made. You can't unspill that milk. So like, what are you going to? I'm not going to look back and go, man, when I was 16, I should have made a different fundamental. You were 16. Who cares? You know, like just shut up and deal with it to face the consequences, whether they're good or bad. I think there's going to be um, conspiracy theorists listening to this who think that you left screenwriting um, until after this um, strike that they're on now, when they start getting paid better. Yeah, I'll jump And then you're like, ah, fuck this Spanish love song shit. (laughs) I'm back in the fucking cinema. Here we go, money. Here's the thing. If somebody came to me, because I love love writing movies and TV. I don't love it as much as writing songs, though. And I think that's what ended up being the fundamental difference is like, I mean, really, I don't like writing any of it because it's a pain in the ass. I like, I like being done with writing something. I like having written, right? I think it's like a famous quote, but it's true. And, uh, but no, if somebody was like, Hey man, come make a movie. I would go make a movie. I'd put Spanish love songs on hold for a year and go make a movie, but that's not happening. And I don't think it's anything that would happen, you know, um, versus like I, and the other part of that is that making movies is pretty fucking boring. Uh, most people don't realize that is like, <laughs> it's a lot of stress and it's a lot of, sitting around and like, I don't know, playing live music is definitely for me, the better job. Um, having done, having worked on both sides of those perspective industries, I definitely prefer playing music live and writing songs and, and collaborating in a room with people making weird noises with these instruments. Um, so yeah, I think I've ended up yeah. where I would end hmm. up regardless. I just took a few backwards routes and it's fun though. It's all experiences. Like not many people got to play college baseball. So that was a fun thing for me to have done. And, not very many people can sit and say that they've worked on film sets or, you know, got to write movies that got read by people like, and I didn't even, I didn't even get far. Like mine was just sort of basic entry level trying to grind it out and make something, you know, and I have friends who have written these huge movies now and I'm so proud of them and I'm jealous of them. And, you know, it's just, just experiences. And that's all, all we can really do is accumulate different experiences. I, I suppose, because what's the alternative I could have, could have gone into construction or something been fine too yeah what you've got to realize is those those friends who are still in cinema and and stuff like that they don't have a thousand people a night (laughs) adoring you singing you singing the words they've written back to them there is some ego fulfilling stuff but also i can't say that i've had a movie that like millions of people around the world have seen collectively so it's there's a give and a take, right? Uh, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Is there any parallels between both careers? Um, the screenwriting and being in a band? 
Because I'm guessing baseball and being in a band is completely different. No, they're all actually kind of the same. Uh, they're all kind of, they're kind of a grind, right? It's you're chasing your dream and you're working on it and you're putting in the work and they can be incredibly boring at times. Um, and then there's like a burst of an outcome. Baseball is the same way. Baseball, you put in, you train year round and you put in this work, you sacrifice, and then you get to pitch for an hour and a half, two hours. Cause I was a pitcher and that was your week. Like you pitch every five days. So yeah, you work all week and you get an hour and a half and then you work all week and you know, being in a band, you drive four to eight to 12 hours then you play 30 minutes to an hour and a half and then you do it all again or, you know, and, uh, movies, you write this idea that you hope somebody else movies is the weirdest one. So you write this idea but then you hope somebody else will put money towards to let somebody else then bring to life with a crew of, you know, anywhere from 10 to hundreds of people. And then you wait like a year and you have to edit it and then it's up on screen and like, maybe it's good, but it probably sucks. Uh, th- like that's an even harder career. Um, but they all, they center around this idea of like putting in a bunch of work to express yourself in a small, quick, uh, time period. Which I yeah I don't know what that says about me that I have latched onto that. I also love cooking, which to me is the ultimate form of that, where you'll put in hours and hours for something that's gone in a bite. There's something beautiful about stuff that just like is destructed like that, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. I do you know what that's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. In fact, uh, this is the first time we've ever compared a sport to being in a band I guess but yeah, yeah. it's fucking class <laughs> yeah but like yeah it's just super interesting to hear because as you said like it's all about those different experiences and I don't think there's a lot of people who would have gone that far in all three of those worlds nonetheless but you said um, being six foot six as a, as a child I mean I'm surprised no one tapped you up to get into professional wrestling because that's the perfect size for <sighs> an attraction oh, man. that would have been Lovely. Uh, I don't think I like getting hurt enough to do wrestling. We, we did a bunch of backyard wrestling as kids, right? Just doing the dumbest shit, like hurting each other immensely. Uh, but then as I got older, I was like, I don't like being hurt. It's the same thing. Like people ask me why I didn't play football. I did play football for a season and I hated it. It was the dumbest sport on earth. No, American football, not uh, proper <laughs> football. Yes. Didn't call it soccer. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that was actually my favorite sport. So yeah, I don't, uh, wrestling would have been cool though. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think I have the predisposition to getting hurt or the, like, I don't think I'm tall enough to be like freakishly. I feel like I'd have to be that guy who's in, who's tall, but also in really, really, really good shape. Like the ripped, like on steroids wrestler. And that was never going to be me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing on WWE. They do lie about their size as well. Cause like, um, if you remember from back in the day, Kane was seven foot tall, yet he's about six foot eight. So, um, yeah, they could have lied and made you seven foot five or whatever. Seven feet tall. And yeah, though, now I, uh, I would have been cool. 130 pounds wet. Yeah. <laughs> With the screenwriting and stuff as well, like I read that you were assistant to a director on, on a couple of films. Is that day to day just pretty like intense? I mean, how. Because I just yeah very intrigued to to what your your schedule would be on a, on a project like that. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of assistant jobs in Hollywood, and they're all kind of thankless, and that's fine. It's a good training ground. 
So like you're basically just making, cause somebody's doing a really hard job. Like directing is hard and there's a lot going on and yeah, you get compensated very nicely for it usually, but it is, it is a high wire act to do. And so a lot of that is just making sure that that person's life is easy and they don't have to worry about things. So like a particularly grueling schedule would be like, we we're filming in Atlanta and we'd had, say we had like a five thirty AM call time. So I'd be up at four. I'd shower, go pick him up and then drive to the stage, making sure like I had a coffee for him on the way. And then it's a lot of just like sitting around and like handling his schedule, fielding phone calls, like scheduling when people are allowed to see him and when people aren't allowed to see him or, you know, making down to stuff as simple as like making sure he was fed because people will forget to eat. You know what I mean? And like, it sounds so such a minuscule job, but, a lot of productions, especially in film and TV thrive off people doing stuff like that to where the creative person gets to be creative at the expense of somebody else making sure that they're fed. But like, that's the work. And if that's what you're trying to do, and it's a great way to learn because I'd be on a film set. I got to work. I got to see how certain things are done. He'd like mentor me, like tell me why he's doing things a certain way, or he'd, you know, want to work on a script together, uh, stuff like that, that I, you know, looking back, I didn't even take as full of advantage of as I could have because I was young and kind of like, why the fuck am I getting this guy coffee? But there's a re I, there's technically, and I was being paid. I wasn't like an unpaid intern or anything. So it was a good learning experience and, and definitely a good way to see how the work gets done. And, you know, I, you kind of take that into even what we do. Like there's certain things that I don't want to do. So I pass off to our manager because it's probably a waste of my time to try to handle it. Um, or like scheduling stuff has been, it's been nice since we've gotten, you know, cause we didn't always have representation. So having that has been huge. Like this, even this podcast came together because you guys were in touch with a PR person who was in touch with our manager who was in touch with me. And he just says, you're doing it at this time. And I go, okay. And I don't have to worry about it. I just show up and do it. And that's the dream. And it makes it sound like we're some like huge machine or something, but that's honestly how uh, quite a few people run and it's, it's good. And, yeah, it's just division of labor, I think. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a good experience. And I got to like see parts of the world that I wouldn't have seen. Like I did six weeks in the Dominican Republic on a movie. Oh, wow. Um, that was probably the most exciting one. I was supposed to do like two months in London, but that didn't happen. That would have been a fun one. Um, and then, yeah, the last movie, I was supposed to get a Fiji to film, but I didn't go because the band had stuff going on. So I stayed that was when I knew I had to quit because I was mm. like, you just turned down going to Fiji for like three months to work on a movie on this remote Island because the band has some shows and you like need to handle stuff around LA. <laughs> it was like, all right, you should probably time to be done. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and just, I don't know, a good way to spend a few years in my twenties. Um, yeah, I, I, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with sort of, uh, what people consider grunt work. I think it's a good way to, to learn and like doing any work is kind of probably a, a, a good pursuit. Like ultimately. When you were describing your day to day, then I like to think there's a couple of tour managers listening and going, Oh yeah, that sounds really. Yeah. <laughs> my, my backup, my backup career is, is in tour managing because I, since the start of this band in the States have always tour managed us. It's finally probably ending soon and in europe i don't tour manage us and it used to be a running joke of like wow look how happy dylan is here in europe because he's not tour managing us versus the states (laughs) like in the fucking van we gotta go (laughs) and so 
Yeah, it's definitely, it was basically like being a tour manager. That's the funny thing about music stuff is so many people don't realize that the skills you gain in music, tour managing, merch managing, etc., apply to so many different industries that like, if you want to get out of music, you have a career somewhere. If you just lie to get into it, you're good. Yeah, literally, just nitpick the the little things you've done, and it actually turns yeah. out to be an, an actual career. And other people are doing. Yeah, you have a career. Yeah, my LinkedIn looks fucking incredible <laughs> for things that I've supposedly done. Merch manager, merch designer, because I said write the name on the t-shirt. I'm trying to put myself down as merch. I'm like a fucking some sort of artist. Yeah, it's brilliant. My my LinkedIn looks amazing but when technically my cv goes like worked in mcdonald's when he was like 16 worked in argos which is a retail store worked in castle bingo for six months went missing for 13 years <laughs> yeah. had to start a podcast because he, he'd been missing for so long <laughs> well and that that's the that's the joke is you become you become unemployable at a certain point because you're just gone for so long and you, you have no real explanation because people hear, Oh, I was in a band and they go, Oh, like some jerk off thing where you were like playing to five people, but not working. And I don't know, living in your parents' basement or something. People get this weird perception of like what being in a band is like, no, I was like running a fucking business. You guys, this is what I was doing. But I've, I've learned to make peace with that and just sort of, you know, just go, yeah, my silly little band, what I was doing. I've sold thousands of records, you shits. Thousands, thousands. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fucking. I'm not in a blink cover band that plays on a weekend. I'm in a real no, band. I, God I, I would make more money if I was in a cover band that played on the weekend. Yeah, for sure. Should, probably, probably would. Hey, at, at one point, the band I was talking to you about earlier, we even considered going. Should we become a wedding band because you'll definitely make <laughs> more money going out as a wedding band at the yeah. moment uh, for whatever we are going out as. It's crazy, isn't it? All just to like live our dreams and travel and get to play this music and yeah. At least your ego, your ego is happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're linking all of that um, to this new album, No Joy, coming out August twenty fifth on Pure Noise Records. Um, there's been a lot of excitement for this, but as we've been talking about the sense of difference between writing songs and writing like scripts or anything like that, I mean. There's always been a highlight for your lyrics in particular because they seem to be more of rich in personality. There's no holds barred and people really feel like you're letting people into uh, uh, some inside jokes or inside stories from your life and stuff. When you're in that creative process, do you feel like you're storytelling? Do you feel like you're creating a character of yourself or is it just literally like, this is just things that are uh, happening? I mean, I don't know, it's always been an interesting one with Spanish love songs. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both, I'd say, especially at this point. Because even if it's about me, it's a story about me. It's not just me. Like, even it, I play the most boring character on earth, which is I'm playing myself in a band, but it's still not me. Because if it was truly me, I don't think people would like our band. Like, I can be a miserable person. I can be not fun. I can be not excited to be somewhere. You know what I mean? Like we're humans. We have flaws. Um, you're just talking about Robert Smith. You're just talking about <laughs> Robert Smith from the cure. That's all you're doing. But you try to like put that aside because you want it to be special for somebody who's coming to see you perform, especially. 
So yeah, it's definitely just a character of me and then there's stories that get fused in and, and sometimes the story is obvious and sometimes it's not. And uh, that's just how it kind of goes. I try to warn people to not take every lyric at face value as if I am that person. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like if you want to think I'm that person, that's fine. I don't think there's anything in the songs that makes me particularly evil or anything, but I, uh, yeah, I, people, the one thing I get a lot is like, Oh man, you're so much happier and like chippier than I would expect you to be. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's why I write the songs because it gets <laughs> yeah. it out and I can be a normal functioning human rather than like living in darkness my entire life. Because that's, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like horror film writers get the same thing where it's like, man, I didn't, you know, I thought you were going to be like a weird murderer guy. It's like, no, I I like normal things. I just have a darkness that like I can work through in a different way. So I think that's kind of the big exercise for us is just, uh, yeah, you know, try it. And I think that no joy was largely a reaction to part of that aspect of brave faces where everybody's like the music's so sad and the lyrics are so sad and they're just the sad, sad band. And I'm like, but we're not like, we're kind of a hopeful band in certain ways. And so we're going to make the music like twice as happy sounding and the lyrics even sadder, but also kind of hopeful and just see what happens that, you know, that's how we end up with something like no joy, which, you know, we're happy to do. And it, it kind of leans into that kind of poking fun at that and also leaning into it a bit more. Nice. Well, uh, how do you compare um, the writing and recording process for no joy compared to say the last record? Um, pretty similar. Like we just all like, I'll write the songs write the lyrics and we get together and arrange them and kind of tear them apart. We recorded it all in kind of one room in Nashville with our friend Colin this time around. Um, and that was great. That was a great process. And we worked on it for longer. I think we did Brave Faces in two weeks and we did this in a month. Um, so that was a lot of fun just to be able to like get in and tear things apart and be a bit more uh, selective with ideas. Um, but yeah, I think we've found kind of what works for us and it's more so about coming to the process of the different mindset rather than trying to change the process itself, uh, which I think helps incredibly. And we have incredible engineers in our band. So we're kind of free in that way to do what we want. And uh, yeah, I think everybody just focused on, you know, executing as best as they could. And even if they were confused by what the songs were doing, cause I played some songs and they were like, what the fuck are we like, what are we doing here? Like, why is this like, a, why is there a new wave synth bass under this? And I'm like, this is what we're doing. These are the songs. And then, they get on board with it and you know, they shape it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just, it's been good. It's uh, I think we're in a very good place as a band and I think we're as happy as we could possibly be. Um, not only as a band, but with each other. And so, I mean, it's hard. We've been, a, I, we've all been friends for a decade at this point and uh, you know, more than friends. Like these are like, it's like family to me at this point and you fight with family quite a bit and it's pretty normal. So, mm. you know, we have days where it's not good and days where it's great and, all we can do is, you know, keep putting in the work. That's all we try to do. Yeah. Well, being obviously being married to Meredith as well. Like, is there a point in the day to day or even like in that process where you two have to shut off? Like, right, we're not talking about music now, or do you just, because it is your life, you're constantly talking about that or it's constantly like the elephant in the room. Yeah. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time together and we're, we've kind of made peace with it. We were friends before all of this, even before she joined the band. Um, so it kind of naturally flows. Like we kind of know when to pick our moments and, or I tend to be obsessive about something. So I'll be on the couch and 
be talking about this thing we need to do for this part to do this. And she's like, can you just like, I don't have it in my brain to talk about this right now. We can talk about this tomorrow. And I'm like, no, but I have to, she's like, just shut up, dude. Like I'm not, we're not engaging in this right now. So that helps a lot to have one of us who can turn it off uh, more so than me. And then of course, when she does that, I'll just like go obsess in a corner somewhere by myself and write down what needs to happen. And then we'll talk about it the next day and it's totally fine. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got a pretty good balance with it. And we, I think we enjoy being around each other as much as, as much as we have to be. So it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's lucky. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's very lucky. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if anything, if anything, that's very lucky. Um, well, this is a bit of a stupid question, but I saw it earlier and I have to ask it. Um, I've seen that with this record. Oh, here we go. You were brought out a beer by the same name. Yeah. Right? A collaboration. So my question to you is, does the record taste as good as you wanted it to sound? Oh, what the fuck? Yes. Um, we <laughs> weren't. No, does the beer taste? No, no, no. You, wait, you worded that wrong. You worded that wrong. No, 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 no. Does the record taste? Does the beer taste as good as the record sounds? You don't want to know what the record tastes like? What, what do you mean? Well, I think it works both ways, but I do think that the record tastes, or the beer tastes the way that you expect the record to feel, which is that it starts with a good because it's called no joy it's inspired by like an almond joy without the almonds so it starts with this really nice sweet coconut very bright and sort of like poppy and you're just kind of like oh and then it finishes with like this nice pastry brown kind of punch and it's also 17 percent, so it knocks you on your ass what and the so fuck? where do i get this sweet but then the but then the then the darkness kind of takes over when you get into that 17%. So it's, I think it's a good indication of the album. And that. <laughs> the brewers we work with are our friends at Horace, uh, Horace Agedales and Solaris beer and blending in Southern California. Uh, just great, great guys. I grew up with the guys from Solaris and uh, it was just so much fun to be able to do and, and watch them execute. Like one of them pitched this idea and I was like, yep, that sounds great. And then to watch it all execute and like come out exactly as planned is insane. And the process for making it was wild and if you can get a bottle i recommend getting a bottle it's uh at solaris beer and blending yeah that's that's the jam yeah i'm gonna nag hayley connelly after this <laughs> for the beer because i need to try that now. <laughs> I, I can't i can't get into the uk unfortunately it's, uh, it's too hard because oh, <laughs> oh, it's not strong enough for the british yeah with your weak beer your weak 17 percent beer ah. Well, with all that being said, obviously it's a very busy time for you guys now, touring constantly. You're going to be uh, coming to the UK in September for that tour with Hot Mulligan yes. uh, as well. But like, what else um, can we expect? What do you want to leave people with? We really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah, of course. Check out No Joy. I think that's the biggest thing. And uh, we will see lots of you in the coming year. We have so many tours planned that we just can't talk about. Um, and we're very excited to get back to work and get to see everybody and, and have a good time and just do it up. Sweet. Well, this has been a fucking absolute treat. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Of course. Haley Colony told us you were a legend. It's glad that this worked out that way. Thank you very <laughs> much. Good luck with everything. And hopefully we'll see you when you're over. Hopefully. So fingers crossed. Yeah, perfect. We'll see you guys soon. Yes! Woo! Dylan, you son of a bitch!
I forgot to ask him how often he gets greeted with the Arnold Schwarzenegger Dylan greeting from Predator. <laughs> um, so, Dylan, if you hear this, could you get in touch with us at Sappinipod on Twitter or Instagram and let us know if you were fucking fed up of strong Austrians approaching you and going, Dylan, you son of a bitch, and then giving you uh, a handshake. But yes, how good was that chat, Morgan? Enjoyed it very, very much. As I said earlier, one of those bands have just become a cult favourite within that underground emo pop punk scene. Um, I know so many people are going to be chuffed about this and the fact that they're coming back to the UK in September for that tour in Hot Mulligan is going to be nice and juicy as well. Um, as you mentioned, the new album No Joy is coming out next week, August 25th, and you can pre-order it now at Pure Noise Records um, and go to SpanishLoveSongs.com for all their tour dates starting in Australia this week as well. It's all going on, all busy, all things Spanish love songs. Speaking of busy, please check out theblackoutband.com. Uh, we have tickets and merchandise and stuff for sale there. Just a warning that Cardiff has now less than 20 tickets left, I think, so fucking get them! Get them, innit? Get them before I take them off sale and give them to my family so my family can attend the gig. Because um, I think that'd be quite nice. I think it'd be quite nice if my family... And friends came to the gig. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, theblackerband.com. Please check out tickets. Um, supports will be announced um, when we have 100% confirmed. Um, <laughs> and um, I'll probably be announcing it live on you. I say live. On you. Just on you. Not live, because we don't do live. This is, yeah. Anyway. Sorry, Morgan. I thought you were going to tell me stuff then. A bit, but no, you... When thing when you know things, you will tell people. That's a great philosophy, really. <laughs> well, you know, I am a philosopher. When I know it, you'll know it. Sean Smith. <laughs> there you are. That's the quote of the episode. <laughs> but speaking of busy, though, we've had a, a busy weekend. We went to the London separately, not together. Which well, yeah, was, we did um, go separately. Yeah, because we had we've had a big falling out. Get in touch with us at <laughs> Pod. Let us know why you think we've had a big falling out. Anyway. Go on, Morgan, you say. <laughs> we went to see Limp Biscuit. Not just Limp Biscuit, though. No, Penjum were there. Kenny Hoopla was there. It was a good time. Uh, yeah. I came in during the middle of the last song by Kenny Hoopla. So I literally saw him say, uh, thank you very much. Good night. And then I was like, oh, I missed that then. And then um, Pendulum went on and fucking smashed it. Some cut out a couple of times. I think that's them reaching the decibel limit. That might have been put on them by the headlining band, who just happens to be the world's greatest new metal band, Limp Bizkit. What a fucking show. Unbelievable. One massive flaw uh, that I would say is they should have done some sort of merchandise. I know people are going to be listening to this going, Sean, if you like Fred Durst, you know what he... Yeah, I've looked, at, I've looked into it since, right? They made one bad batch of merch once. And people complained, so now he's decided to leave th hundreds of thousands of pounds at every UK gig on the table. Seems mental to me, right? Mm. But anybody over the age of 30 just wanted a fucking souvenir because they saw <laughs> Limp Bizkit in the year of our Lord, 2023. Listen, none of us are expecting to see Limp Bizkit in 2023, so make a fucking t-shirt that says, I saw Limp Bizkit in the year of our Lord, 2023, for God's sake. <laughs> The thing is, right, if Fred didn't want to do it, let me do it. I'd have fucking, I'd have got loads of merch printed and then sold it at the gig. It just, yeah, seemed fucking ridiculous. But I will give props to Kenny Hoopla. 
to have the genius idea to put Kenny Hoopla and Limp Bizkit for two days on a t-shirt or whatever the t-shirt said because people were buying that thinking it was Limp Bizkit merch mm. because Limp Bizkit hate their fans. Just to uh, paint the picture as well, we walked over to the merch stalls. They are two massive merch stalls in this 30,000 capacity venue outside in London. <laughs> and they're completely empty on the like landmark thing where you can say, oh, what are the t-shirts like? It's just a pendulum shirt and the pendulum hoodie. And then underneath that in the actual back of the store was just Kenny Hoopla t-shirt. So it looked very empty. <laughs> yeah, it was a cool pendulum t-shirt as well. But um, I totally want to say Limp Bizkit on it because Limp Bizkit now in 2023, I can't go on about this. It's annoying me. It's fucking angered me, to be honest. I didn't even see anybody knock, doing knockoff ones outside the gig. I, some people did say they did see people. Right. But I must have gone out the wrong e- exit or something because I saw fucking nothing. It took me half hour to get back two miles to my um, car to drive home. So that was fun. Uh, but yes, great gig. Limp Bizkit were class. Pendulum were class. The end of Kenny Hoopla set was real good from what I saw. Uh, Limp Bizkit absolutely smashed it. Well done. Well, this set flew by for me. I thought there's just so many bangers, so many hits. It just flew by. It wasn't one of those sets where you're kind of like, oh, okay, come on, play something we know. Like, oh, every song was a f- was people freaking out. Fair play to Limp Bizkit. And thanks for the people at Gernsbury uh, Park and Festival Republic for having us because we had a very, very nice time. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And congratulations to the competition winners, Michael Snowden and Chaz Copeland for winning the Limp Bizkit tickets. I saw Chaz and her brother at the gig and uh, she sends her thanks to us very, very much. She had a great time. Um, she posted about it on TikTok and her story and stuff like that. And it seems like she had a great time. And then Michael Snowden reached out to me as well and thanked me and um, said he's very, very excited to hear Fred Durst on the podcast. So guess what? So am I if that ever fucking happens. But I don't <laughs> yeah. think it will. Because if he's not going to print merch for people who love him, he's not going to do podcasts for people who love him either. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. Uh, saw a subject. Saw a subject. We were there, like, we were there. If we want to keep up with maybe some future competitions, we're going to try and run some more uh, if we're lucky enough to in the future. Follow us at Sapping Pod, Twitter, Instagram. Keep up to date with everything on there. But if you'd like to support this podcast in any way and get some even more bonuses, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash sapnin not only is there loads of extra content on there um do you get involved with a wonderful community who meet up at gigs festivals and just embrace each other all the time but this week we've put up a mini podcast of a conversation we had with four years strong back at slam dunk festival 2023 just a couple of months ago so if you want uh some extra laughs with alan and dan go and check it out patreon.com forward slash sapnin Again, I think my face looks like a man's thigh, right? It's just pink and plain, and I never expect anybody to recognize us. But as soon as we saw them, boys, they jumped in, and they had a great, great laugh with us. So, yes, as Morgan said, check out patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. Also, at Sapnin Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and fucking TikTok, if you can be asked. But, yeah, we've got to give a massive shout-out to the elite members of our Patreon, who are the top tiers, and they are as follows. Thank you very much, Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Liwawe, Janelle Caston, Paul Hirschfield, Scarlett Charlton, Tony Michael, Dilly Grimwood, Kelly Irwin, Natasha Morris, Nathan Croshaw, Mitch Perry. I saw Nathan Croshaw at Limp Bizkit. It was good to see him. Thank you very much, Mitch Perry, Emma Barber, Alexandra Pemblinton, 
Cat Besson, Molly Malloy and James Bowerbank, Nathan White, Jenny Robinson, Scott Jones, Murray Grimwood, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robinson, Kate Paddock, Louis Cook, Martina McManus, Danny Eaton. Happy birthday for the other day, brother. Thank you very much. Carl Pendlebury, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, Emma Evans-Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Fines, Emily Perry, Vicky, Kalila Keane, Ollie Amesbury, Adam King of the Gospel, Josh, I'm selling my DeLorean, low mileage, only driven from time to time, crisp. That's his best one so far, and it's not great. Thank you very much, Joe Janaway, Kyle David Smith, and last by no means least, and I regret starting this with his voice, <laughs> Connor Lewis. <laughs> I had no idea what accent or voice you were trying to do with that then, but it was impressive. I'm glad you kept it up. Yeah, it went all the way through, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't expecting to keep it up, but I, for some reason I did. So thanks to all of those people and any other people who've ever been part of our Patreon. Genuinely, we can't, we cannot afford to do this without the help of the Patreon. So thank you very much to all involved. If you've listened to three episodes or more, you've got to get involved. Listen to what's happening to my voice. You sound like a pirate. A <laughs> <laughs> vasty. Avasty Patreons. <laughs> there we are. Pirate Sean unlocked. But thank you so much to everyone uh, for listening. Support us via Patreon and just checking out this episode. Make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this. Share it with your friends. Put it in Instagram stories and tag us. It all helps very, Rate very it. much. Uh, write it as well, please. And we'll be back next week and every Friday with very special guests to make you laugh and probably m- mad stories and leave you going, what the fucking hell? That was a crazy huh? thing to listen to. <laughs> Bands do that? What? <laughs> yeah, this was great. Thank you very much again, Dylan. Thank you very much, Ailey Connolly. Thank you very much, Morgan, Hugh Richards. Um, and thank you very much, Sean Timothy Smith. This is the end of Something Podcast. Episode 247. Sapnin! Sapnin! Oh, congratulations to Skin Dread on our number two album. Fucking good job. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't, I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much.